Well, thank you very much, Jonathan. I, my mother would have enjoyed hearing all those things, I think, very much. That was great. <laughs> no, I appreciate all those kind things you said. That was uh, it's great to be with you. I've been looking forward to this and praying about it and thinking about it a lot over the last days. And uh, I'm excited very much about the topic that Pastor Miller allowed me to uh, speak to you on and work with you on the, these days, and that is the topic of wisdom. And what I've chosen to do for the times we have together is spend three times the sessions together today on the wisdom books of the Old Testament. They will be Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes in that order today. And then what I would like to do tomorrow night is move to the New Testament and talk about wisdom there, and especially Jesus, and how Jesus fits into this picture of wisdom in Scripture. So I'm going to start right out this morning uh, in the book of Proverbs, and I think I'll need probably most of the time that I have uh, this morning for Sunday school to cover this, um, and uh, let, let me try to get you hooked on wisdom a little bit and try to at the same time introduce you to the book of Proverbs, if I can, this morning. Here's what the book of Proverbs says about wisdom, and by the way, Proverbs is probably the book that speaks the most about it. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Now, I've got a list of about 10 passages like this in the book of Proverbs that talk about wisdom and the value of getting it. Proverbs chapter 4 admonishes us to get wisdom. It says, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. This is the teacher, the father, talking to the pupil or the son in Proverbs 4. Do not forsake her, that is wisdom. She's always presented in the book of Proverbs as a female character who is, uh, in a sense, to be courted and to be won and to be pursued by the student. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. So where I'm at this morning, I guess, what I want to try to present to you is, so what is wisdom? What is this concept that the Bible talks about so often that is this word wisdom? Sophia is the Greek word that is used. Chachma is the Hebrew word that is used for wisdom. What is it? And not only that, but how do I get this wisdom? And to, to try and answer those questions, I'm going to start this morning in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to go through two passages. And I want to try and introduce you to wisdom. And if you have the handout there in front of you, we'll kind of go back and forth from the PowerPoints to the handout, and I'll try to help you follow where I'm going on this. But we're going to try to start with to get a definition of wisdom. The main purpose of the book of Proverbs, it says at the very beginning of the book, and you might open your Bibles there as we begin this morning to Proverbs chapter 1, because that's where we're going to start out and spend our time. But the main purpose of the book of Proverbs is to give you wisdom. Uh, it says in chapter 1, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom. And discipline. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. 
to get wisdom and to get discipline. Well, we learn what this word is, which occurs about 102 times in Proverbs, you see there in the first paragraph. We, we learn what it means by looking at the use of the noun elsewhere in the Old Testament. We'll do that in just a moment. We learn by looking at the synonyms for this word in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And that's the first passage we're going to look at this morning. And by co-referential terms. By co-referential, I mean another title or term that can refer to the same person. Like we might call uh, our vice president the speaker of the house. Those are two different references for the same person. And Proverbs uses different terms in the same way to refer to what is called wisdom, but it, but it will describe it in other terms. As you'll see, even when we get to verse 3, in fact, I'll just read for you. In verse 3, it says, at the end of the verse, doing what is right and just and fair. Those are co-referential terms for wisdom. And those kind of things also get us into wisdom and help us to understand what wisdom is all about. So how do, what is it? And how do we get it? Well, we're going we're gonna to try and pursue it this morning in the book of Proverbs. Now, I know this is kind of small up there, but, but uh, it was too much to put on your handout with the other things I wanted to put there. But this is kind of an outline, my outline, I guess, uh, of the book of Proverbs, the various sections that are there. The main thing I want you to see is look at the very top, if you can squint and, and see that up there. It says the introduction or preface to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Proverbs is really great in this regard because it starts out by telling us what its purpose is in the very beginning. If you're a reader of the Gospel of John, you know in John chapter 20, verse 31, John says, These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. That's his purpose. Uh, 1 John 5.13 gives us the purpose of 1 John. These are written that you might know that you have eternal life. So it helps us understand the book. We're going to start this morning and spend the first half of our time or so in this, in this time together, however long it takes. I'm not worried about it. If we, we, we're, but I do want to spend time on that passage at the very beginning of the book for you to understand the purpose of the book of Proverbs and what it's all about. Here's what those first seven verses have in them. You've got the title. We just read it. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Put you in the context of this book. And then we have the purposes of the book developed in verses 2 through 6. And then in verse 7, we've got the theme or the motto of all the wisdom literature. We'll be coming back to it again in the morning service today. And tonight, when we go to Ecclesiastes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and discipline or wisdom and instruction. So we're going to focus now. What we want to go to this morning is the middle section there, the purposes of the book of Proverbs. And uh, let's go there. If uh, you have your Bible open, I guess we can just start in verse 2, and I'm, I'm uh, using, I'm reading from the NIV, but some of the things I have in the overhead you'll see will be from the ESV, so uh, I think you'll be able to follow along as I go through this, but verse 2, it says, the book of Proverbs is given for attaining wisdom and discipline. 
And right off the bat, at the very beginning, the author gives us this purpose of the book of Proverbs, that you can get wisdom, that you can attain to discipline or learn instruction uh, in your life. So what is wisdom? Let's start by looking at the use of this word elsewhere in the Old Testament. And I think it would be good to read a couple of these verses as we start out this morning. I'm gonna, I'm, I'll read them for you, but uh, let me start with Exodus chapter 28 and verse 3 as we try to define this concept of wisdom. Moses writes, Tell all the skilled men, that is the men who have wisdom, to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron, for his consecration, so he may serve me as priest. Very interesting, totally different than what we find in the wisdom literature. This word of wisdom is used for people who are skilled in making garments, skilled in making the, the clothes that the priest is going to wear in the temple. Uh, let's just go back a a chapter or two to chapter 35 and notice what people are skilled to do there in verses 33 to 36, the very end of the chapter. Well, I'm going to have to go back a little bit before that. I'm going to go back to verse 30. Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God with skill. That's our word, wisdom ability and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill, wisdom, to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, and so on. So, again, we see this word applied to skilled craftsmen. One of the most interesting places, and I'm not going to read this verse, Psalm 107, verse 27, it talks about sailors who are in a, in a storm at sea, and they're in their ship, and they don't know what to do, and they're throwing everything overboard to try and get through this, this storm. And the King James used to say, uh, says still, I guess, if you have a King James, I don't use it anymore, but the way it, I... I uh, used to read, and I, that's what I grew up on, the King James, it said, they're at their wit's end. They have come to the end of their skill. They've done everything they know how to do. And they call out to God to deliver them from this storm. Uh, Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto what? Do you remember? Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. And then at verse 17, it talks about uh, the fact that God will establish the work of our hands upon us. When we do that, we'll do something that will be worthwhile. So uh, I, I put in your notes there wisdom, and I listed the verses, and I put after that the basic meaning of this word is skill. The basic meaning of the word of wisdom in the Bible, if you study it in all its uses, is skill. So a wise person is someone who has mastered something. And it's a wonderful thing in life to master something. My father was skilled in farming. He was a farmer. He was not only skilled in farming, but he basically repaired most all of his own equipment. He had a shop. 
He knew how to weld. He knew how to use all kinds of equipment. My father was like a Holyab and Bezalel we read about in Exodus chapter 35. He's a man who had skill. Uh, you all have developed different degrees of skill in all kinds of areas. In those areas where you have mastered things, you are skilled in. The, book of, the Old Testament would use this word wisdom for those things. Now, the wisdom writers of the Old Testament, notice the second sentence up there. In the wisdom literature, they took this concept and broadened it to apply to all of life. And I think the best definition I can give you of wisdom, what we're talking about this week, is a skill at living life. The skill of living life well. And it involves your relationship with God. It involves moral issues we'll see in this wisdom literature. It also involves your relationship with other people. It involves social issues. It involves knowing how to get along with other people and how to relate to other people. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, which I'll talk about a lot tonight, he has one of the best sections on Ecclesiastes I have ever found, defines wisdom as I have it in the last sentence up there. He says, wisdom is choosing the best means to the best ends. A wise person is someone in all of life who can choose the best means to the best ends. The book of Proverbs is written to give you skill in living life, in every area of life. Now, I called the topic of our lesson here in Sunday school this morning, Wisdom in Every Detail of Life. Why did I do that? Here's why I did it. Because there are about 150 different characters introduced in the book of Proverbs, if you look at the characters there. There are five different words for a fool, five different degrees of a fool in the book of Proverbs. There are different types of wise people that are described. Just about anyone you're going to meet in life, you can meet in the book of Proverbs. I, I, one, one of the best ways to study Proverbs with your children, if you would like to use it for family devotions, is to do character studies in the book of Proverbs. Study the sluggard. Study uh, in the book of Proverbs the neighbor. Uh, on and on it goes. Study the immoral woman. I had a professor uh, that... Uh, I heard him mention this as talking about the book of Proverbs. They were doing character studies with their children in their home, and they studied the immoral woman in the book of Proverbs. And they, you know, they got to know her characteristics. And it was Christmas time, and this professor lived in Dallas, Texas. He was going to make a delivery of gifts to a family that they wanted to take gifts to at Christmas time, and they were going through a poorer section of the city of Dallas. And he talks how they went through that section of the city, and his daughters looked out the window and they said, Daddy, there's some of those women that we were uh, uh, studying about in the book of Proverbs. How do, you, how do you know that? Well, they knew the characteristics of these women who were out on the street, if you read Proverbs 7 especially, and what they are like, how they dressed, what they were trying to do uh, from reading the book of Proverbs, and they could identify them immediately. Proverbs is written to give you wisdom in every area of your life. It's written to give you a skill of living life. But it's not only written to do that. If you look right above number two, about the middle of that page, it says it's written to give you instruction. Proverbs 1-2 says, For attaining wisdom and discipline, or wisdom and instruction. This is the idea of chastisement, correction self-discipline 
And I just noted here on the overhead that wisdom is a quality of character and it must be hard won. Proverbs is a book that teaches the value of hard work and discipline and saving money and these kinds of things that are not always easy for us to do. You don't become a great pianist by saying, man, I'd like to be a great pianist. And you, you, know, you think about that over and over and set your mind on it. You basically become a great musician by practicing. You don't become a doctor by saying, hmm, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor. You become a doctor by starting to get good grades when you're a young person and disciplining yourself all through your schooling and setting your goal on becoming a doctor and doing all the things that are required up all night studying, doing your internship, and all the other things that are required to become a doctor. Because the mastery of skills in life is something that is hard won. It is difficult. It's not an intramural study, okay? It's for those who commit themselves fully. And Proverbs is written to teach us that, to teach us uh, wisdom and to teach us discipline. Now, I'm going to skip the second line of verse 2 if you're following along in your Bible because the second line of verse 2 introduces the second purpose of Proverbs, and that is to help us mentally. Proverbs is written to affect us morally for moral excellence, but we're going to come back to the mental part because verse 2 is developed down in verse 6. So when we get to that, we'll do it. Let's go to verse 3. What else is Proverbs written to do for you? What, what else is is wisdom. What else can, can this book of Proverbs give you? It says in verse 3, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Maybe a better way to translate that, I think this may be what the ESV has, to receive instruction or discipline, it's the word we just talked about, in wise dealing. Or discipline which leads to successful or wise behavior. Now, you say, okay, what is this successful or wise behavior? Uh, that is the key word in this, uh, in this line. It's a word that also is found often in the Old Testament. Let's talk about it just a little bit. Let's look where it's, where it's used elsewhere. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, this word is used of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that it's a tree to make one wise. It's a tree so... Satan says to make one successful, to make one wise. When Isaiah writes about the suffering servant in Isaiah 52 and 53, before he chronicles the suffering of the servant, Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, my servant will prosper. He will be successful. That's Jesus. It's prophesying his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of God and his victory over sin and death and hell in his resurrection. That's what his suffering was all about. He will prosper. It's used of a woman named Abigail in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 3. Remember her story? She's married to a fool named Nabal. And in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 3, Abigail is a woman who knows how to get on. She knows how to do things well. She is a woman who knows how to be successful and how to interact with other people in life. And this word is used of her. It's a person who has what the French call savoir-faire. They have good sense. They are effective in attaining results. 
They have good understanding. Abigail was prudent in her relationship. She knew how to relate to people. And she could relate to people in a way that, brought, that yielded success, that yielded results. So this word has to do with relationships in life. And Proverbs is written to give us skill in relationships, uh, skill in living life so that our lives will be successful. By the way, this is also the word that's used in Joshua chapter 1. These things are written that you might uh, remain in them, that you might be successful in all you do, it says in Joshua chapter 1. Well, I don't know if you're uh, with me here or not. I don't know if you're getting interested in this wisdom stuff or not. I'm hoping that perhaps by the things that I am sharing with you, you might get interested in it. Uh, let me go to the, to the last part of verse 3 now, because this... Wisdom that leads to successful behavior is developed for you, is defined for you in the last part of verse 3. It says in verse 3, doing what is right and just and fair. There are three synonyms there at the end of verse 3 that unfold and further describe the discipline that leads to wise behavior in the first part of verse 3. I want to pause here for just a minute. Believe it or not, uh, all the things John said about me, he forgot to mention my skill in art this morning. Uh, yeah, that's right. And uh, some of you moaned when I said that. But anyhow, uh, I am, believe it or not, and please don't, don't not send your children to Northwestern for this reason, but I am this year the interim chair of the art department at Northwestern. It's a long story. I'm not going to get into it, you know, but... Uh, my wife shakes her head, and everyone I tell it to just looks at me and says, what? Well, uh, anyhow, I'm doing a little bit of administration, okay? And some of you here are no doubt involved in that. Some of you are going to go into Christian ministry. Some of you are teachers. Some of you do things like that. May I tell you, if you want to have successful behavior, successful relationships with people, the three qualities in verse 3b are essential, you can't do it without them. Look at them again. You say, well, yeah, those are interesting. I don't know a leader who can be a leader of people and have their respect and, and accomplish things working with other people without, look at verse 3b, doing what is right and just and fair. Right and just and fair. The first word is zedek. It's the word for justice. I mean, doing what, what is in keeping with God's laws. The second word describes the social outworking of your justice. It's the word that's on the police cars in Israel, mishpat. In other words, they're the ones who enforce the justice. The third word describes the, the beauty of justice, the smoothness of justice. It's a word that Samson uses to describe one of his Philistine girlfriends. Remember Samson's problem, running, running down to the Philistines for his girlfriends all the time in the book of Judges? And he says, oh, she is beautiful. The, 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 our Bibles translate it, it, it has the idea she is smooth. Her, her skin must have been beautifully smooth. But the idea is that's, this, that's the way justice is and judgment is when you're a leader and you're leading other people. It's smooth. It's beautiful. It leaves, uh, you know, it, it's used for the... the putting of the gold on the temple where they smoothed the gold out on the wood and covered the, the wood with gold. They made it smooth. 
And that's the, that's the kind of behavior that Proverbs will teach you to be able to do. And that's the kind of thing that is necessary for leading other people and working with other people. Let me tell you one other thing why I'm excited about the book of Proverbs. I am 64 years old. Uh, I know you think I'm probably older than that looking at me, but I, I'm only 64. But uh, I've been in teaching for a long time, about 37 years now, in teaching and interim pastor of, I think, 12 different churches in the time that uh, the Lord has given me to serve him. And, you know, I've, I, one thing I found true working in schools, you can't make a law for everything, okay? I mean, the, you can almost name the laws, the rules you have in schools, you can almost name the students you had to make the rule for, but you can't make a rule that covers everything. And if you're going to be a good administrator, you have to have something more than just rules. That other something you have to have, and this is what the book of Proverbs was written for, is wisdom. You have to have the ability to make decisions. You have to have the ability when something comes up, oh, we don't have a rule for that, what do we do? Well, that's why you're the leader. That's why you're the administrator, right? And you have wisdom. You have this skill of making decisions, of working with people, of working through the social issues, the moral issues involved to make the right decisions and to go on. And it involves many things, even sometimes leading up to the decision to do the right things. But that is, I believe, what Proverbs is written to give us. It's written for that purpose. Well, this whole concept of wisdom is developed in verses 3 through 5. Let's take a quick look at that. There, there are four characters mentioned. Uh, I'm sorry, verses 4 and 5. It says, for giving prudence to the simple. Proverbs is written for people who are simple. This is not people who are mentally uh, not all there. Okay, This is people who are uncommitted people who are wandering around and don't know where they're going in life. And it describes the great majority of young people in our probably our junior highs and maybe in our senior highs, uh, this idea that they are uncommitted. So what will the book of Proverbs do for someone who is uncommitted, according to verse 4a? Well, it says it will give prudence to them. It will give prudence to the uncommitted. What does the word prudence mean? I've tried to describe it here on the screen. It will give shrewdness and cleverness to them. If you want to see who the uncommitted person is in the book of Proverbs, go to Proverbs chapter 7. It describes such a person walking down the street and coming across the house of the immoral woman, the, the strange woman, the adulteress in Proverbs chapter 7. And she, he doesn't know what is going on. She comes up and gives him a kiss, and before he knows it, she's got him in her bedroom. He's uncommitted. He's going nowhere. I tell you, this, this situation is not one that Proverbs wants us to leave our young people in where they are uncommitted. The book of Proverbs is written, it says, to give prudence, to give cleverness, to give shrewdness. It's the word used of Satan in Genesis 3.1. He's more clever than all the beasts of the field. He's shrewd. We wouldn't send our soldiers to war without basic training. We wouldn't send them to countries where there are landmines and all kinds of other things without preparing them. And the book of Proverbs is written for the simpleton, for the uncommitted, to prepare them for situations they're going to face in life. It's also written for youth in general. 
Look at the next line in verse 4. It says it will give, uh, the NIV says, knowledge and discretion to a young person. I tried to kind of translate it again up on the screen. Uh, knowledge, as I understand it, is the perception of reality. It's living in the real world. We're going to talk about that a lot tonight when we talk about Ecclesiastes. But not only knowledge, but it gives discretion. It's the idea of resourcefulness or purpose. It's the idea of having goals and plans to get there to the young person. You know what I think the greatest deterrent to crime, sexual immorality, and other problems that our young people have is? I think it's this quality described right here in the last part of verse 4. Knowledge and discretion. This idea of discretion to the youth. If you've got your Bible open, look back at Proverbs chapter 5 with me for just a moment. Proverbs chapter 5 is a warning against adultery. Look what it says in verses 1 and 2. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may attain discretion. The teacher wants the young person to get this quality and your lips may preserve knowledge. Those are the very two things we've just read about in verse 4. And if you keep reading in the chapter, you will see he's talking to him about avoiding immorality, about avoiding the immoral woman. What is this quality I am talking about? It is the idea of having goals in life, having purpose in life, having direction in life, having somewhere you are going and a purpose in life. And not only a purpose, but plans to get there. Young people, do you have that today? Where are you going in life? What are your goals? You say, well, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do yet. Well, that's true. None of us knows for sure what the Lord wants us to do tomorrow. But do you have goals? Do you have direction? Are you just wandering? Proverbs says that, that the book of Proverbs is written to give you discretion, to give you purpose, to give you goals, to give you direction, and to help you plan ways to get there. And when you start having direction and purpose in your life, and a situation comes along that tempts you to, in one night perhaps, ruin your whole life or, or make some decision that could, could affect you for the rest of your life adversely, you start thinking, just a minute, I've got goals. I've got purposes. I've got directions in life. And I think it's one of the best things we can give our young people. And that's what Proverbs is written to do according to chapter 1, verse 4. All right, verse 5, two other people. What about a wise person? You say, but I'm wise. What's Proverbs going to do for me? Well, it says in verse 5 that it will give more wisdom to the wise. Uh, let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. It will give to a person who is discerning, that's a person who can make correct decisions and distinguish between different things in life. It will give guidance to that person so they can pick their way through a confused and tangled situation. This word, the NIV translates it as guidance here, is a very interesting word. It's the ability to pick your way through a confused and tangled situation. It's a word that comes from the word ropes. It has to do with untangling ropes and finding your way through an uncharted sea, which is what life is for most of us a lot of the time. 
So Proverbs is designed, as I say up here, I think to build the kind of spiritual life and character in a person that is the basis of good decision-making, which doesn't come a flash out of the sky, but it comes out of good character that gives guidance for all of life. And that, I think, is what Proverbs is, is to do. All right, so Proverbs is written to help us morally to give us a skill of living life, and it's written for all kinds of people. But it's also written to help us mentally at the bottom of the page there. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, and then down in verse 6, it's developed. It says in verse 2b, for attaining words of insight, and then if you look at verse 6, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So verse 2 introduces the concept that you can understand these words and verse 6 develops it and tells you more about it, that you gain wisdom from Proverbs that helps you understand Proverbs and parables and riddles and things like that. Now, I want you in your Bible to turn with me to chapter 26, verses 7 and 9 now. Let's talk a little bit about what a proverb is. What is a proverb? Anybody got a definition of a proverb out there? You know any English proverbs? Uh, a stitch in time saves nine, right? Ever hear of that one? My wife uh, applies that one often when she sits down at her sewing machine. Uh, I used to tell my daughters one, you know, when they went off to college, uh, they started, you know, they were dating and things. I would say, you know, look before you leap. What does that mean? Take it easy, right? Don't jump into something here, you know. Uh, then by the time they got done with college and so on, I, ch- I said, you know, there's another proverb you've got to remember, too, and that's he who hesitates is lost, you know? I mean, you know, you got to... <laughs> right? So what am I saying about proverbs here? What is a proverb? It's a general truth, okay? It's a general truth that must be applied correctly in specific situations. Are you with me on that? A proverb is not something that's true in all situations. It's not a promise. We don't call Proverbs promises, do we? Are you with me? Okay. A proverb is, is a general truth. And, and you must have wisdom if you're going to apply that general truth. Uh, and and I, I, don't, I, don't, I think we can do a lot of damage if we apply them wrongly. But, but look at chapter 26, verses 7 and 9. Here you go. It says in that in that verse, like a lame man's legs that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. What's that saying? It's saying that a fool can take a proverb and do all kinds of damage with it. I think that's what we're going to see this morning in the book of Job that Job's counselors were doing with Job. Okay, They were taking general truths and, man, they were, they were making them dogmatic statements. Are you with me? Is this making sense? Okay, I, I know maybe you don't, you don't think this way, but I think you're going to have a problem with some of the Proverbs if you take them all as promises. They're Proverbs. Uh, look at verse 9. Here's what the wise man tells us. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. You put a proverb in the mouth of a fool, you say, but how can you do anything wrong with a proverb? It's a statement. It's from God. Yeah, but... A fool will take a proverb and use it in such a way that it will be like a thorn bush in your hand. It, it will do, you, do harm to you. 
Proverbs are general truths that must be applied correctly to specific situations. Now, some of them are, are almost are always true. Some of them speak of God and God's faithfulness or God's goodness or things like that. But many of them are observations of this world that the wise man sees around him, and, and he applies them in ways that, uh, you know, he, we have to apply them in ways that are correct and that are right, or we can do damage with them, I believe. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Proverbs chapter 26. These are famous. These Proverbs were one of the reasons the Jewish rabbis questioned whether the book of Proverbs should actually be in the book of Proverbs, in the, book, in the Bible. Uh, they, they were questions about it. Look at verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. That's saying, if you get to talking with a fool and they start hollering at you and yelling at you, don't answer back in the same way. You're going to lower yourself down to their very level, right? If they do that. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. But look at verse 5. This is what the rabbis pulled their hair out about. Answer a fool according to his folly, or we, he will be wise in his own eyes. There are other times when you, you have to answer a fool, and if the situation is, allows it, if the situation is right, then show him where he is wrong, that he won't be wise in his own conceits, and, and that the, perhaps the conversation won't end thinking that the, what the foolish person said is the right answer. But you have to be wise enough to know when to apply verse 4 and when to apply verse 5. And uh, they're not contradictory. They are complementary. And there are sometimes when verse 4 applies and there are sometimes when verse 5 applies. Now, I could probably get us into all kinds of issues or uh, raise all kinds of questions in your mind if I wanted to pursue this farther here this morning. I don't know that that's, that is pro- probably the best thing to do, but... Uh, I think it's simply understood this way. Folks, you have to be wise to read the book of Proverbs. You have to be wise to apply it. And when we take a proverb and throw it out at someone, if we do it in the wrong way, without sensitivity, without understanding the situation, thinking that we have all the answers to all the questions of life, and I've got the proverb to prove it, we better be careful. And really, you know, make sure that that we understand what we are doing when we start doing that. Because Proverbs are general truths that you have to have wisdom to apply correctly. And it says, if you go back to verse 6 of chapter 1, that this book is written as you read it and study it to understand Proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise so you might get to understand them better and know them better. That's part of wisdom. Wisdom is not just moral, but there is a mental component also in growing in wisdom this way. I don't know if any of you are interested in getting this wisdom. I've tried to explain to you a little bit about what it is. But in the last five, six minutes here, what I'd like to do is go to the last page of this now and go to Proverbs chapter 2 with me. Go to Proverbs chapter 2 with me. I can summarize this, I think, in just a couple moments. Actually, we have about nine minutes left. So uh, let, let's look at a passage. It's, I guess, my favorite passage in the book of Proverbs. I don't think there is anything that compares with it anywhere else in the Bible. That's what I say in the first paragraph there. It's the finest passage in the Bible about how to attain wisdom and the skill of living life, how to make right decisions. 
It's also the way I, I use it in Bible interpretation classes all the time because it's the finest passage in the Bible about how to study the Bible and how to find God in Scripture, which is what it's all about, folks. We don't read the Bible so we can you know, answer everybody's question or uh, do... Uh, I'm just going to turn this off, I think, at this point and just use the notes we don't, we don't study the Bible just to answer everybody's questions, to show, show how smart we are, you know, or something like that. We should be studying the Bible to, so people can find God in Scripture. And this passage, I think, shows you that. Notice the, well, there are 22 verses in the, in the chapter. The first 11 all begin with the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. The last 11 all begin with Lamed, the 12th letter in the Hebrew alphabet. That would be the beginning of the second half. 22 is the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. I think I already mentioned that. It's got amazing structure. And you can, if you haven't ever seen this, look at the first four verses. Uh, there are three ifs there. There are three conditions, three ifs, and two consequences, two thens. Do you see them there in your Bible? The first if is in verse 1, if you accept my words. The second one is in verse 3, if you call out for insight. The third one is in verse 4, and if you look for it as for silver. Everybody got them? Verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4. Three conditions. So what are the consequences then? Are you starting to see the thens already? Right? Verse 5, then. Does your Bible have it there? Uh, then. Verse 5, you will understand the fear of the Lord. And look down at verse 9. Then you will understand what is right and just. Two beautiful consequences if the conditions are met. Presupposing the conditions are met. Now, really briefly, look at verses 1 and 2, the first condition. Let's read it. If you accept my words, that doesn't say, you know, if you argue with me, or, you know, if you, if you uh, decide what part of the Bible you want to follow and what part you don't want to follow. This is the part of wisdom. This is the way of wisdom here, which is we're, we're going to, I hope, get the point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's putting ourselves under God and submitting to him and realizing we don't have the answers. And God, we need it from you. Please give it to me. It's by your revelation that I get wisdom. If you accept my words through the teacher from God and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Notice there all these things. The memorization in verse 1. Storing up my words within you, he says. And uh, we get a little farther than that. There's attention to the Word of God, giving it our complete attention, turning our ear to wisdom. And then there is the application of the Word to our lives. So, so there's this reception of the truth, humble reception of the truth. Notice the second one, verse 3. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, hearty petition, calling out to God and saying, God, I can't get this myself. God, I need your help. God, give me wisdom. God, teach me from your word. I, I bow before you. Please show me the wisdom in your word as I open it and read it today. Depending upon God. But then look at verse 4, the third if. In your notes I said, you know, it says, if you look for it is for silver, this is exertion after the truth. Wow. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for a hidden treasure. You ever 
You ever uh, read about or hear about these treasure hunters? I mean, some of them go under the oceans and under Lake Superior and other places. Some of them uh, go to the farthest recesses of the earth. But they, they will do anything to find silver, to find treasure. And that's the attitude we ought to have as we value the Word of God and the wisdom of God. So we accept it as from God. We call out to Him to help us. We search for it. We diligently apply ourselves to get this wisdom. And then what are the beautiful consequences? Well, look at verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Beautiful. You find God. As you search for wisdom, I think the application to us is as you study the Word of God and, and uh, seek for wisdom in the Word of God this way, this is how a person comes to know God and finds the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, the foundation of wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom, and so on, it says. Look at the second consequence. Hop down to verse 9. I love this one. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path, for wisdom will enter your heart. And if you have never underlined it in your Bible, underline the next line. I, I, I mean, if you believe in underlining your Bible, but no, it says knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Now, follow the, the logic here. You search for wisdom this way. You come to know God, verse 5, and you come to the place where you have an intuitive desire for what is right and what is good. Knowledge is a synonym of wisdom. And when the junk comes on TV, you look at it and you say, Ugh, I don't want that stuff. You don't maybe say it exactly like that, but in your heart, that's what your heart's saying to you. You don't want that stuff. Knowledge is pleasant to your soul, not that uh, junk that I'm that that, that I, that's come on the TV now. I, don't, I turn and you turn it off. Uh, you you're, you get on your computer and you're looking, you know, going through stuff in your computer, and something comes up there, and you say, "What is this?" You say, "Man, I don't want that." I have an intuitive desire inside me for, for things that are right. Why? Because I put the Word of God on my heart. I've come to know God, and now I, want, I, have, a, I have an intuitive desire, a, a desire in my heart for things that are, that, ha, that are true to reality, that involve knowledge and wisdom and, and justice and all these kinds of things. Bruce Walkey tells the story of one time his wife Elaine picking up a dozen eggs. She brought them home, and she made soft-boiled eggs for their family. And she, she boiled the eggs. Their family sat down to breakfast and they cracked them open and she'd been sold some bad eggs. They were rotten. And I, I don't know if you kids have smelled them, but most of you here probably have smelled rotten eggs. Rotten eggs are, you know, there's not much, much worse than rotten eggs, I don't think, as far as the smell of things. And Walkie says, you know, we didn't have to make a rule in our house. Okay, kids, I'm making a rule right now. None of you are going to eat those rotten eggs, Okay. <laughs> He said, nobody in the house wanted to eat the rotten eggs. They didn't want anything to do with them. They took them over and put them down the garbage disposal or put them down, you know, in, in the garbage container because they didn't have any desire for it. They had an intuitive loathing of that smell. And the Bible says that's what Proverbs can do for you. That's what wisdom can do for you. That's what the Word of God can do for you. You study it this way and you come to know God 
And then you understand what is right and just and fair and wisdom enters your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul and it will protect you. Who will it protect you from? Well, down just below the middle of the page there, there are two illustrations of the protection, verses 12 through 15. A wisdom will save you from the way of wicked men. You'll know a wicked person. Once you spend much time around them, you'll say, I can't work with this person. I, you know, this is not the kind of person I want to marry. Whatever the relationship is, it will save you from that person. And secondly, look, if you will, at uh, verse 16. It will save you from the adulteress. You will recognize her. You will know her. You will be turned away from her. And that's why the wise man encourages his son to get into wisdom, to get in the Word of God. And look at the last three verses. This passage ends then with an invitation. And it talks about two ways, which are always in the book of Proverbs, these two ways. Thus you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land, the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the unfaithful will be torn from it. There are two ways. And the book of Proverbs doesn't command us to go a certain way. It commands us to seek wisdom, and it says, you know what? If you choose to go the foolish way, you're foolish. You're like a bird getting caught in a net, it says in chapter 1. But if you choose to follow Lady Wisdom, you have a skill of living life. And you are on the road to life eternal, as described here at the end of this chapter. And Proverbs says, son, which way will you go? Are you going to be a fool or are you going to be wise? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful book. God, I thank you for what it's meant to me. I pray it might be a blessing to each of us in our families and lives. And I pray, God, you'd help us to realize the value of wisdom, this skill of living life in keeping with your principles and the principles you've established in creation. And I pray you'd give us a heart to seek it in your word and in the person of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.